welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to CBS's upcoming Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. I'm Teresa Giacino. And I'm Rebecca Johnson. In this episode, we're joined by Supergirl writer Mr. Sterling Gates to discuss his trade paperbacks, Who is Superwoman, and Friends and Fugitives. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, Sterling. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> We're very excited because our listeners keep telling us, just wait till you get to the Sterling Gates run. It's going to be great. <laughs> that's all we've heard since pretty much this podcast started. So. Wow. Well, that's, that's really nice of them to say. Well, it's true. <laughs> I, I think Teresa and I both enjoyed these books tremendously. Good. Definitely. Good. Um, I'm, I'm glad they're, they hold up pretty well. Definitely. And, uh, I mean, I don't know if, how much of our – a uh, little podcast you've listened to, but um, you know I'm certainly a first-time Supergirl reader, um, so this is you know one of my uh, introductions to, to the character, and uh, it's been pretty awesome. So we're going to get into our first story, which is the trade paperback called Supergirl: Who Is Superwoman, mm-hmm. uh, and the description from DCComics.com says. When a costumed woman arrives in Metropolis calling herself Superwoman, it's up to Supergirl to get to the bottom of things. After meeting this so-called Superwoman during the new Krypton storyline, the Girl of Steel has two pressing questions. Who is Superwoman really? And what gives her the right to wear the symbol of the House of L? Don't miss this collection featuring Supergirl 34 and Supergirl 37 through 42. <laughs> yeah, it skips a couple of issues there. <laughs> Uh, th- those issues are in Superman New Krypton Volume 1, maybe, and Volume 2. Um, you know, at, at the time, we we launched 34, and we knew uh, issues 35 and 36 would be part of New Krypton, that first batch of New Krypton crossover. Mm-hmm. And so 34 is a very self-contained, kind of clean story setting a status quo, and then 35 and 36 instantly upset that status quo <laughs> um, with new Krypton stuff. And so uh, it, it can be a little disorienting hopefully, when reading it in trade. Hopefully it came off okay for you, first-time reader, uh, that you could follow. I, I tried really hard to make 37 um, new Krypton reader-friendly because you know we are so heavily tied in, into New Krypton, but ha- by being a part of that crossover, it, it really expanded our ability to tell stories with with Kara and let us deal with some of the stuff happening in the main Superman books and in action comics. I think it actually does a good job of telling the story and giving the background because I actually read Who is Superwoman and then Michael, our friend Michael Bailey recommended that I go back and read the new Krypton stuff. And so then I did that and uh, I was very familiar with what was going on in new Krypton because I had read Who is Superwoman. So I think that did a good job. <laughs> good. Good. I mean, it was always my goal to, um, it, it's hard because we were operating on such a, um, connected basis like you know i mean me and and at the time jeff johns and and james robinson and greg rucka the four of us had to plan plan for each other's stories all servicing the grander new krypton story um and, and as a result 
there are, especially in these trade paperbacks, like looking looking back over them, like there are issues that are seemingly missing, but they're collected in other other trades. Um, and and unfortunately, like thirty four is so clean, and then it, it immediately gets upset by thirty five and thirty six, which are collected in a totally separate other collection. <laughs> um, but the thinking was, since it, you know, New Krypton is parts i think we did new krypton parts one through ten seems like uh the thinking is hopefully you read those trades and then come to supergirl stuff separately so that 34 sort of reads by itself but then the rest of the story ties in deeply with new krypton and the status quo set up in those volumes honestly i i uh i didn't you know go back and read the new krypton stuff although i really am curious about it and uh but yeah, just going off of the information I'm getting from this trade, it was easy to follow. I, I had no problem jumping into uh, – it didn't even feel like there were any, any uh, issues missing. Good. I, I mean all you need to know is is Superman fought Brainiac and he opened up the bottle city of Candor. 100,000 Kryptonians came spilling out of it. Two of them are um, Kara's parents. Her father is killed um, sort of in the middle of that story and then they create a new planet – New Krypton, um, which is on the other side of the sun, um, antipodal to the Earth. So they're always on the sun is always in between them at all times in their orbits, and and that's it. I mean, that's all you really need to know in terms of Supergirl. And you know, and, and again, it's funny. I, I went through some of these some of these issues before we spoke today, and, and like there are all these references to stuff that's happening in the other New Krypton books that if you were reading all those books at the time, you caught. But if you if you didn't, I mean, it, it's not intrusive, you know. Like, there's a thing in there's a thing in one issue where Lois is like, "Yeah, Clark, no worries. I know you're on Strikers Island or whatever," and that's a direct reference to something happening in in the main Superman book uh, that James was doing. It did seem that like uh, every couple of pages, you know, Superman is off doing something where we don't know what he's doing. <laughs> but I right. was like, okay, he's Superman. He does that. But the idea was always, if you're reading all of, like, all four titles, it feels like a very well-rounded world. Because all each of us, and, and James and Greg, and like, each of us make references to each other's stories. Um, s- sort of, like, seemingly, uh, I mean, kind of in an oblique way at times. But if you're reading all of it, y- you understand. And that's that's the challenge of writing a a line like a story like this where it's line wide where we're all the superman books are new krypton is trying to make it feel like everything is its own story but also making sure that you're servicing the bigger picture um and it was you know i was i was 27 years old working with like a lot of my writing heroes um with james and greg and jeff and so it, i i always like it was really intimidating to me, so I always tried to bring like every A game thing I could, but always give like always drop little bits and pieces of their stories in Supergirl so that everything felt connected. Because Supergirl historically hasn't been the biggest seller, but like compared to Action Comics or Superman, like it, it, we had an uphill battle in terms of of um, getting fans involved. And so I always tried to make sure New Krypton felt like a, a it, it has a a very big presence in the story. And everything springs out of New Krypton and the events of that story, but not to the point where it overwhelms Kara as a character. Like she, she is always 
um, sort of her own person off on her own adventure and then she'll cross over into different things, but it's never, um, it's never, it's never using Supergirl to support Superman, which is a, a risk, you know, Batgirl and Robin, like you never want to write stories where those characters are there solely to support the main character, i.e. Batman. You can write those stories, but in my view, like you never want, like you want those characters to be able to stand on their own. But in certain stories, they support the main character. Obviously, Superman's the main character of New Krypton, but Supergirl is the co-lead. And I never wanted her to get lost in supporting Superman's journey. And there's a big risk in that. It's, it's hard when you do crossover stories where it can be very hard, I, I should say. It can be very hard when you do crossover stories where you really want your character to be the lead but yeah. Superman, Superman's the lead. I mean, let, let's be honest. Like Superman is was the lead of New Krypton, but it was also very important to me to make sure it felt like Supergirl's story too, because she had a lot invested in it and she had a lot to lose. And I won't spoil it and tell you what happens at the end of New Krypton in case you haven't read it. But she had a lot to lose going into New Krypton, and uh, I wanted to make sure that she was never overpowered by the Superman of it all. Which is a challenge. I mean, it's a huge challenge to write that and to try to keep, like I said, just try to keep your A game up so that you're, you know, we were a supporting book to New Krypton, but I never wanted it to feel like a supporting book. I wanted every story to feel like it was a big Supergirl story because that was the job. That was why we worked with some great editors, uh, Matt Idelson and Will Moss. Like they hired me because I wanted to do these big Supergirl stories to the best of my ability. And hopefully it worked out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and it's her book, right? Like for all that it's a part of this larger event, she can't be a supporting character in her own title. But you always run the risk of that when you do a crossover of this nature. Um, yeah. It's, it's tough to satisfy all, all the needs of every – like you, you can never satisfy all masters is the, is the phrase. Like it's, yeah. tough to, it's tough to tread that line. And, you know, we came out of the gate with who is Superwoman. In reality, if I did that story now, I would have her and Superwoman team up a little more before we start getting into the mystery of it all. Mm -hmm. um, but we didn't have a whole lot of time and a whole lot of space. So I, I plus coming out of New Krypton, spoiler alert, she killed Agent Liberty in New Krypton. And that was such an interesting, like, ho holy crap moment. I felt like we had to follow up on that immediately because the readers know she's bad. Like she, the readers know she's a villain from the get go. So if we do a story where the two of them team up, you have to address that in some capacity. And again, mm -hmm. if I, if I had it to do now, I would have structured that story very differently and had some stuff with the two of them, like having an adventure together before the question becomes, well, who is this lady? She keeps showing up at key moments. Why? What does she do? What's her motivation? Who is she? Why is she here? And then sort of pull that thread and unveil that a little slower than I did um, back then. Hmm. And maybe only a couple issues. Maybe do 37, 38 as a Supergirl, Superwoman team up and then start who is Superwoman. But coming out of New Krypton, it felt so important because the reader knew she was a villain. It felt important to address that stuff and just start moving. And so you jump right in and they find Agent Liberty's body and they do all the stuff. Like it, it's... And, and, you know, you introduce Henderson and Henderson's 
Henderson covers one sort of ground level version of the crime and Supergirl covers the, the high superheroic high flying aspect of the crime and their two paths intersect and then Henderson gets put in danger and that's what, you know, helps Supergirl piece together who Superwoman actually is. And, um, I would, I would just structure it a little differently now. Well, speaking of Superwoman, I was curious because I'm a big Lois Lane fan, so I appreciated that you had a lot of Lois Lane and uh, Cat Grant and some of those folks from the Daily Planet in these stories. But I was curious about Superwoman. Was she always going to be Lucy Lane, or was there anybody else that you had considered uh, being that character? Nope, it was always her. Um, and that decision was made editorially before I came on board. Uh-huh. Um, the, I, the, that was the piece that that Jeff and James sort of handed to me coming into that. I think it creates some really interesting drama in that family, especially between Lois and, and Kara. You know, Lois is one of my favorite characters, full stop period of all time. I, I think she's fascinating, and I wanted to get her in that book as much as possible because it felt, you know, originally, like here's some trivia for, for people. Originally, we had talked about instead of Supergirl becoming Linda Lang with a G, we talked about her becoming Linda Lane, oh. uh, which changes that whole dynamic. Yeah. Um, but since Sam Lane was was such a um, antagonist in New Krypton, and Lucy Lane was going to be Superwoman, it felt like way too many lanes running around. And then, so we started examining like what other characters we could sort of use and Lana Lang came up and that opened a lot of doors and a lot of different story options. So the, the so Supergirl 34, that script realigned itself. So Lana is acting as, as sort of Supergirl's mentor slash best friend slash, you know, mother figure. So yeah, so Lois is, you know, Lois is one of my favorite characters and it, it I really wanted to do a lot with her. I really wanted to to do a lot with Cat Grant because Jeff had just redone Cat Grant um in Action Comics and sort of it's her coming back to Metropolis and she's gone from being an investigative reporter that she was in the 90s to being sort of an entertainment TMZ um I don't know if you know the website the superficial like she was like yeah. the su- the superficial reporter. And she's completely changed her look and she's been living in L.A. And it's completely like her focus is now on sort of tearing down the superhero industry, so to speak. And so I I thought, well, that's a great catalyst for stories involving Supergirl. And I completely stole the uh, why the world doesn't need Supergirl from Superman Returns. uh, Because in Superman Returns, the headline is why the world doesn't need Superman. Right. and I totally stole that from those guys. So thank you, Superman Returns. Um, <laughs> but it felt like such a Cat Grant question, you know, and we, we really wanted to build her up as being this uh, libelous kind of, not libelous, it's too far, but um, just like critical. Tabloid journalist. Tabloid journalist who's openly critical of Supergirl in the Daily Planet, which has historically been such a supportive newspaper for the Super family. And it felt... And that's why that opening scene is Clark and Lois in Perry's office. Like, are you seriously going to run this? Yeah. Uh, be- because we don't run stuff like this. Like, that's an opinion page. That's that's an opinion page article, and you're running it as the front page news. And Perry says, "Well, look, Cat had a has a great point, and honestly, she put pressure on the publishers. However, she did that, and they want they want us to run the story. They think it'll sell papers. And frankly, the newspaper industry is not what it used to be. So." 
we need to at least you know get our advertiser dollars up. So we're going to run something that that plays to the tabloid nature now. And we'll see what happens. And then they run it. And obviously it devastates Supergirl and makes her really rethink what she's doing there and what she's doing on Earth. And then suddenly from the heavens, literally from the heavens, here comes Brainiac with a bottle full of her people. (laughs) And she goes, well, screw you, Metropolis. Like, I'm going to go hang out with, with my family on this other planet populated with people just like me. And so for the first time, I'm not... Like held, I'm not held accountable in the same way, and I'm not held on high like I am here. The L family crest that I wear on my chest means something totally different on New Krypton than it does here. So I'm going to go do that. And the first thing that happens when she gets there is Alora says, hey, go back to Earth and find your dad's killer, please. <laughs> uh, and so it creates conflict, and, and you, you, you get a, you know, conflict generates drama, and drama is what keeps people interested. So it was always about playing off the two sides where she has this, like, new Krypton in theory should be everything she ever wanted, but it's a poisoned well because Allura is dealing with all that grief and, and dealing with the pressures of being a leader. And then she goes back to Earth, and no one wants her there, save for Lana and a handful of, even Lois. Like, there's conflict with Lois because of Superwoman. So it, it, it was just a really interesting uh, way to generate, to make a long answer to a short question, it was a, a, a good way to generate uh, conflict with Lois if Lucy Lane was sort of the bad version of the military man's daughter, where Lois rebelled and went off to become a journalist and, and fighting the good fight for people. Lucy went a different direction and wanted to satisfy her father to the point where she became a career military woman. And then when this, when this came up, this, this option to become superwoman and where the super suit came up, she took it. Um, it leads again, spoiler alert, like it leads to some really bad stuff for Lucy in the long run. <laughs> and unfortunately stuff that will never be followed up on because new 52 wipes all that out which New 52, for people that don't know, if there are people that don't know, was the the DC reboot that happened in 2011. And so it restarted the universe from scratch. And so these stories are the old DC universe. Lucy Lane in the new DC universe is a totally different person. Well, I have to say, one of the um, the things I did love about this trade in particular is the strong character work for all these female characters. Um, their relationships are so interesting and nuanced. Um, but in particular, I, you know, found myself really amazed by, uh, Allura and Kara's relationship. I'd love to hear you talk a little about that and about why, um, cause up until this point in the Supergirl comic, we've kind of seen a, a very simple standard, you know, parent child loving relationship. And then this tragedy happens and there are a million ways that can go. I was wondering why you decided to have Alora and Kara's relationship become more strained and more um, complicated and distant after that particular tragedy? Uh, it's all Joan Didion's fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, Joan Didion wrote a book, The Year of Magical Thinking, after the death of her husband and how that affected her relationship with her child. And I thought it was really interesting. On top of that, there are a lot of things in the Kara allure relationship that sprang from difficulty uh, I had and my brother had with my mother. Um, sorry, mom, if you're listening to this. Uh, <laughs> difficulties that we had right after the death of my father. I mean, that was a, I was a teenager at the time and 
there are an unknown number of complications and un, uh, just unforeseen complications that arise in a family unit when you pull the, the center out of it. And, you know, we all had a hard time with grief and with grieving and um, reading that Joan Didion book actually brought a lot of that stuff back up for me. And all of that stuff filtered down into um, Kara and Allura's relationship. You know, there's always like the after school special version of grief, which is like, I'm crying, you're crying, but we'll all cry together. And then they hug and then it's a big triumphant moment. And that's from my experience, that's just not reality. And I wanted to really examine a relationship between a parent and child, specifically between a mother and daughter that has been completely destroyed by the death of her husband and Kara's parent in part because I'd never seen that in a comic before. Yeah. Uh, you know, like mother daughter relationships are very rare in comics. And that comes, I think from m- most comics being most superhero books post 1956. Let's be frank, like are very male driven. And that's just the, that's the nature of where the industry went. And, and, for good or for bad, depending on your point of view, that's just how comics have been for a long time. And that is changing greatly. And it's changed yeah. drastically in the last 15 years, which is, uh, for my money, which is amazing. But we still don't do a lot of mother-daughter relationships. And I, I think that is a shame because th- there is so, much, so many interesting facets to every mother-daughter relationship that I, I just find captivating and I find really interesting to, to write and I find interesting to explore. I remember writing, there's a moment where Kara talks to her mom through a communication device, a sunstone, Kryptonian sunstone communication device <laughs> where Allura dresses her down and says, hey, um, I sent you back to Earth and you're screwing up and you're screwing around down there. Like I sent you for a very specific reason what the hell are you doing? And, and Kara gets mad, rightly so, gets mad and smashes the device and Lana comes in and she's like, what happened? And Kara says, I don't understand why my father had to die and, and you know, why couldn't she have died instead of dad? And that, I, like I remember writing it and goosebumps went up on my body because that's a conversation I had with, again, sorry mom, that's a conversation I had when my dad died and and my family was in, having a lot of conflict because that's what happens when you lose a parent. Um, and it was, it was just, and I didn't even think about it till it was actually on the page. And I thought, God, that's, that happened to me. Like that was real life. Obviously my relationship with my mother is much better than it was 17 years ago or whatever. But, (laughs) um, it, it, it just felt like such a natural extension to write that in this character and to address some of those issues. And then, you know, later we, we come back to it in a big way later where Zorel says to Kara as he's dying, like, watch out for your mother. And Kara interprets it as, well, you know, look after her, make sure she's okay, watch out for her. And we come back to it in a big way in War of the Superman where it gets flipped and Kara says to her mom, like, he said, watch out for you. He didn't mean, like, be on the lookout and try to help you. He meant watch out for you because you make crazy decisions. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. And like by the end of, and I think the alert issues in this, yeah. So by the end of, of War of the Superman, you know, Reactron being on New Krypton goes very badly as a result of Allura's actions. And 
Allura kind of gets one chance to make it right, but the, I mean, the damage is already done. But that, so that was always the long game was, was how do we examine this relationship in a big way and make it feel organic, but at the same time, make it really identifiable and really relatable, hopefully in a way that you've never seen in a comic before. It did feel real. Like, uh, I think anyone who's experienced grief will look at this and, and kind of recognize themselves in it. So I, I, I personally appreciated that. I liked seeing Supergirl's grieving process as well as Allura's. Like, Allura's kind of just hunkering down and trying to focus on her tasks and her deeds. And Kara or Kara, however you want to pronounce it, is, is handling <laughs> it in her own way. So I thought that was interesting to see both of their points of views on losing the same person. It's funny. I pronounce it both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, and it's Kara when it's just her first name and it's Kara Zorel when it's her whole name. Ah, so That's a good take. So it's, it's the formal version versus the friends version, you know. But you heard it here, folks. The official right. Sterling Gates pronunciation guide. <laughs> but to go back to a different point uh, really quick before we move on, you said something about uh, it, it's unusual to have a, a book like this full of female characters. Um, I really liked Gail Simone's Birds of Prey at the time. Mm. And she was doing sort of an all female bat universe book. And I sort of said, well, why can't we do that in the Supergirl universe where it's mostly populated by women with all these different relationships and different conflicts. And, and it just felt like the natural extension to do something like that. We didn't make a big deal about it. We just sort of did it. Because I, I just I, I thought it would be a unique take and a, a really enjoyable book to write, and I mean, and obviously you're doing a Supergirl book, so like it needs to ha- have a lot of strong women within it, and so it felt like a natural like, a natural take for that character and for that universe. Whereas like the Superman books and Superman World and New Krypton and all that stuff, like it's it's very I don't want to say boy heavy because that sounds dopey but like it's it, th- those were very boy heavy books and we wanted to do something different and a lot of that, a, a lot of that too came out of jamal eigel and i talking because jamal had just had a daughter and he really wanted to do a book that she could read someday and so we didn't want it to get um exploitative or ov- overly sexual which can happen sometimes when dealing with these teen characters and, and it was you know it's really to will moss and matt adelson's credit that that we were able to do this book because I, I don't I think with different editors it would have gone totally differently. Well we're certainly grateful for that. Yes. <laughs> so if you see Matt Idelson at a convention, give him a high five. Well that's awesome. Well um the second trade paperback we're gonna talk about is Supergirl Friends and Fugitives. The description from DCComics.com says Supergirl and Flamebird must work together to track down their father's assassin Reactron. But these childhood friends find themselves at each other's throats in these stories from Supergirl number 43 and 45 through 47, Action Comics number 881 through 882, and Superman Secret Files 2009 number 1. I was interested in this book because there was so much of Kryptonian society that played a part in, in the story and stuff that I was not familiar with. And I was curious, what was already established and what kind of stuff did you get to play with? Like the, the guilds and the crest day and the way the trials happened and even some of the religion of the Kryptonian people. What was there and what, what did you kind of get to play around with? Gilding day was my construction. Um, again, we were sort of 
thrown into crossovers a lot. So sometimes I only had one or two issues to do self-contained stories. And so Gilding Day was, I wanted to do a Supergirl birthday story. I thought it would be interesting. And I wanted to do something about Kryptonian society because in the first burst of new Krypton issues, we'd set up a different guild system that had never been done before where there are, there are uh, four or five different types of guilds. And there's workers and artists and, and religion and um, military. So I wanted to sort of examine each of those guilds and what makes them different through Supergirl's eyes. And Gilding Day, and we'd never really set up how you choose what guild you're going to be in uh, within New Krypton. So it felt like a natural, like, well, here's a day in the life of Supergirl, self-contained story, one issue that we can use to examine the guilds that we've created because we hadn't really done that sufficiently, I felt. Mm. And then I did it sort of under the, in the context of her writing a, a letter to her father, which is, again, drawing from my own experience and this is a dumb story, but uh, drawing from my own experience, like when I hit the rank of Eagle Scout when I was in Boy Scouts, that was a goal my father had always had for me. And I wrote him a letter on the day of my Eagle ceremony because he wasn't Aww. there. Um, and so the letter that Kara writes is, is, I mean, even some of the text is drawn directly from the letter that I wrote my dad a million years ago. Uh, That's so sweet. That's not a stupid story. No, at all. it's not. <laughs> well, your mileage varies. Um, so I, it, it just, I wanted to explore the guilds and we'd kind of thrown some ideas around on how to do that. And I just pitched like, uh, let's just do one issue where we go around and examine different things. And then we can drop sort of this religious guild stuff in that Greg wanted to develop in his, in his book. You know, we can set up the voice of Rao and, and that there are different facets to the religious, um, the religious guild that we hadn't seen yet because they were sort of a mystery, shrouded in mystery, mysterious guild. So Gilding Day was very much my thing. The guilds came out of New Krypton. Um, and then, you know, we, we, we do the trial of Reactron, and that's based so much on Superman the movie, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> R- Richard Donner's Superman the movie. I think there's even a moment where they do the, like, we go around and do the guilty, guilty, guilty yeah. thing, which is <laughs> totally stolen from... Uh, from Richard Donner's Superman movie, which is one of my favorite movies. You know, I mean, it, it, it was all, so much about New Krypton was, it was a group effort. And, and we did these huge conference calls once a week, just checking in. And, and if people had new ideas about Kryptonian society or whatever, just throw them out and try to, try to find ways to, to make all of those things work for good and for bad. I mean, like fans like some stuff, but they don't like others. That's fine. One of the things about doing the guilds is trying to take all of the versions of Krypton that we've seen since, I mean, over the 75 years of Superman and, and again, it's a very Jeff Johns thing, push them all together and make them one whole. So you've mm-hmm. got sort of the, the headbands, Silver Age, shiny take on Krypton. You've got the John Byrne cold science version of Krypton. You've got the silver, shiny... Uh, aluminum foil robes uh, of <laughs> of the Superman movies, Krypton, um, just taking all of those versions and making them all work and suddenly saying, well, they're all relevant. They all matter. It's just you're looking at different facets of a society. Like if someone looks at Earth now, an American kid is going to be totally different from um, uh, an adult in Russia, right? Like they're just 
that's two different, very different cultures within the same world. So why can't Krypton be like that? But we kind of segmented each of them by, by saying, okay, well, there are four or five guilds. I think we ended up with five. Uh, those guilds are like your relationship with work or just your life. Like you sort of fall into one of these guilds. And then, you know, we just wanted to do a, a story about how to choose that guild. And that's where, where you got Gilding Day. And then Thara, Flamebird, Nightwing and Flamebird, I, I mean, Greg co-wrote this volume with me. And Greg was doing stuff about Nightwing and Flamebird uh, in his book and in action comics. And so he, we really wanted to do a big crossover because everyone had a reason to go after Reactron. Um, and it, it, you know, it, it seemed to fit best in a Supergirl volume because he is her father's killer. And so it became a Supergirl trade paperback instead of an action comics trade paperback. But it was fun. I mean, Greg, Greg is, is one of my favorite writers and always has been. And, and I mean, if you want to talk about people that write strong women in, in his books, like Greg is, is fantastic at writing these like military based characters. And, and he's such a great, he's just so smart. You know, like I, I learned so much from doing this crossover with him and it was, again, you know, I was a 20, 20 something year old kid, like working with some of his favorite writers, uh, on this big Superman new Krypton story. But it was about, it was always about their friendship and it was about developing a friendship between our two leads and putting them in conflict with one another. You know, where, where Greg is writing Thara in action, I'm doing Kara and Kara in um, Supergirl. It was about putting them together in a big story and seeing what that, what that looks like and how it goes. Um, and it goes very poorly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was actually curious about something regarding their relationship because, uh, you know, the whole story, I mean, it's about their relationship and it's also kind of about, you know, the difference between kind of religion and skepticism. And I was just curious about what was more, what was the more challenging part for you to write? Was it Thera's belief in the real flame bird or was it Kara's skepticism? You know, or if we, you had to write it now, if you had to tackle it now, which do you think you'd be more, more kind of in touch with writing? Whoa, skepticism. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're totally like Kara, like science, stop it with this flame bird nonsense. <laughs> Well, and, and that came, you know, like Greg wanted to explore how religion affects this society and, and making Thara Flamebird, which is the embodiment, like, like avatar of religion. Obviously, she's going to be very into faith. And it's not even as simple as, well, Greg believes this and I believe this. And so when you put us in a room, like, blah, 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 like, it's not even as simple as that. It was just, we talked about these characters and, and their differences and, it it just came naturally that like, yes, Kara sees supernatural things all the time, but you know when confronted with her own society's religious beliefs, she's like that is totally whacked out, um, <laughs> because I believe this and this and this because science shows this, and and Greg deals a lot with religion in his writing. Um, if you're familiar with his stuff on like the question or Gotham central or the specter, like he deals with yeah. faith. He deals with faith a lot because I think it fascinates him. 
and what fascinates him about, and I'm speaking for him and I'm, I, I feel bad doing that, but like so much of people's faith in higher powers, I think fascinates him and what people are willing to do to service that faith fascinates him in a very different way than how, how I come to it. Um, you know, I, I was raised in Oklahoma. It's the Bible belt, belt buckle. Um, <laughs> there's a church on every corner and I'm not even joking so I come to faith, Christian faith, approaching Christian faith very differently than I think Greg does. So I really wanted to like, so it, it just sprang naturally from we have a character who is so bound in her faith and she's becoming this living avatar of their gods. Naturally, you want the polar opposite of that. And that's, that was how Kara approaches, approaches that. And so you're looking at two friends who split off at some point in their past and went in two very different directions who are now coming together to try to find this guy for two very de- different reasons. And that creates conflict and conflict creates, creates our drama for that story. It was really fun writing the story with Greg. Like we, I'm almost sad we didn't get to do another crossover like this because he's so fascinating and he's such a smart writer and he, he understands characters so well. And when he says things that a character would do, you're like, Oh, of course they would do that. I don't know why, why I would have never thought of that. Like, of course they would Greg. And it was just fun. It was, it was a really great learning experience working with again, one of my heroes. And then like, it's funny, like there's a Supergirl spotlight issue in the Gilding Day thing. And then there's an Allura spotlight issue in this trade for the trial of Reactron. Um, and that's why, that's why I wrote sort of a single issue spotlight on Allura. Um, because I, she was, she was such an interesting character to me and so much of who is Superwoman and a lot of friends and fugitives comes out of what she wants in that she wants Reactron period no excuses. So I wanted to do an issue of, well, what the hell happens when she gets him? Mm-hmm. Um, and how does that affect her? And how does that affect her relationship with her daughter? And how does that affect, you know, her grief pattern? And I just, I wanted to explore some of that obviously in a very limited way. Cause you know, you're a 22 page comic and you gotta, and we had to service the greater story, but I just thought, I, I thought it was really important to, flip the story and look at the whole thing from her point of view and then reveal that she's gone to such great lengths to fool her daughter into thinking Reactron's finally gone and well, no, he's not. Now I'm going to get the information that I need out of you because someone on earth is plotting against us and you Reactron know everything. And so, and then it turns into a totally different story and, and hopefully when you're reading it, it's sort of a mounting sense of dread of Allura. Like when, when will you realize you're going way too far? Yeah. Um, and when will Supergirl realize that her mother has gone way too far? And so that was, and, and you know, again, it, to spoiler alert, like y- y- you find out, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you eventually find out and it does not go well for anybody. I have to say one one thing that was really great because you, you you know it's clear that you're fascinated with Alora through all of this, um, but also I I really appreciated the fact that Supergirl you know in the gilding ceremony she ends up choosing her mother's guild rather than her father's in an attempt to understand her, and I thought that was a really telling choice and a really great moment for the character as well. Thank you. Um, again, a lot of that's drawing from personal experience of doing things to try to understand uh, 
understand your parent. You know, like my, my, again, sorry to bring the party down, but like my dad's favorite movie was Easy Rider, the motorcycle Dennis Hoffman movie, counterculture, 1960s. Yeah. Uh, I, I have no idea why. <laughs> and I, I watched that. I watched that movie and it's a total mystery to me. And it's so unlike my dad, so unlike my dad, but it's, it's his favorite thing. It was his favorite thing. And, and so I, I think we want to understand our family members alive or dead. We want to understand what makes them tick. And I think for Supergirl, it was such a natural decision to make because she understands her, she, for the most part, understands her father and the decisions that he made for the most part. But her mother is active in her life and is a mystery to her. So naturally, she gravitates towards that decision on an emotional level. But then on a personal level, like science is fascinating to her and, and she wants to understand how the universe works. Physics in the DC universe is, are very different than physics in our universe. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I think she wants to she, – she likes exploring the impossible and the unknown and examining what makes them tick very much in the same way as Superman. But I think she's, she's drawn to that, especially in, in, in this story. You get to really see that because her friend is so driven by religious faith and Supergirl is not that. And then that, that creates a whole different dynamic. And she's, that, that becomes fascinating in a different way to her. How come this person who has this faith believes this? Like there's no evidence of that. And going through scientific method, you know, hypothesis, experimentation, et cetera, like how can I prove that? The only proof I have is she catches on fire and like runs around burning up stuff. Like what does that mean? <laughs> and by the end of it, they come to a mutual understanding right. uh, of one another that isn't necessarily permanent and isn't necessarily indicative of, well, you've changed you've changed me completely, now I'm a believer, or you've changed me completely, now I don't believe because science rules or whatever. They come to a middle ground that allows them to, that kind of reignites their relationship and and their friendship in a way that I don't think anyone was expecting. And it's, you know, it's such a shame we didn't, we didn't get to do more stories with them teamed up by the end of, by the end of New Krypton. But I, on a different level, like it always felt important to give Supergirl, um, sort of a best friend that we'd never seen before and give her a relationship that we hadn't seen in the book. Because up until that point, her relationships were, Captain Boomerang Jr. and Power <laughs> Power Boy, I think's that guy's name. Yep. Yeah, he's uh, the worst. <laughs> and a couple, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's not my favorite. Um, and a couple other sort of passing friendships. And so, obviously, we created mother figures or uh, in Lana and Alora. And so it felt like, well, we need a we need a friend. We need a best friend character to to help lift that role up a little, like to help lift Supergirl up a little more. And Thara was the natural extension of that. And we, so we just sort of built towards, we built towards this flame bird moment where she flames out the whole time. You know, once we started New Krypton, we were building to that moment and it's a pivotal moment for that character and for Supergirl because your best friend is basically dark Phoenix um, to borrow from Marvel uh, universe. Like your best friend comes out and she's the living embodiment of, one of the gods, like that's a holy crap kind of moment. And you get a lot out of that. You get a lot of story and a lot of drama, a lot of pathos out of that. 
So when you do crossovers like this, you, you, you want to service both characters' books, but you also and you also want to kind of add to their character, or else there's no point in doing a crossover like that. And that's one of the things Greg taught me. And uh, the other thing is, when someone crosses over into your book, when the when heroes meet, there's always conflict. Period. Um, if there's no conflict, if Captain America teams up with Iron Man and they're they're buddy buddies and have a good time it's kind of a boring, it makes for kind of a boring story. But if you put Captain America and Iron Man at odds, it's interesting and and it will interest your readers in a different way. Um, And that's something that I learned from Greg too. It was great. It was just really cool working with him because again, he, he, he operates on such an amazing level and writes at such an amazing level. It was good. It was a really good experience. And for a young 20 something writer, like me, like I was, it was a, it was a, I was kind of bewildered at times that I was on these long conference calls with one of my heroes <laughs> discussing um, flowers, Kryptonian flowers, <laughs> and if we should, if we should use, use them or not, or should we do this kind of ritualistic blood brotherish kind of ceremony? And so we, and so we did, and, and it, it made, hopefully it made for an interesting volume. Yeah, no, it definitely did. And, um, I, uh, I think that's a, a great place to uh, wrap up, actually. Um, uh, thank you so much for, for being here and, uh, and sure. talking about these books with us. Yeah, um, I, I'm, re- I'm just glad people are coming to this material now. I mean, I'm really psyched for this show, and I, I'm really excited to see what that show does um, for the, the mythos. You know, Supergirl has had a lot of different versions over the last 50-plus years, so I'm really intrigued to see... Um, like how they take if if they're going to take all of them and sort of roll them up into one version or I'm just really interested in seeing what that show looks like because I you know I haven't seen it yet. Well, now where can uh, can people find you uh, online to learn more about your your work or if they want to chat you up about comics? Uh, I'm on Twitter pretty actively. I'm twitter.com backslash Sterling Gates, all one word. I have a website, SterlingGates.com, all one word. And I post work to that regularly. I'm not a big Facebook person. Uh, yeah, I think Twitter is probably the best way to... I'm not a big Tumblr person either, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so Twitter and my website might be the best way to, to track me down. And we should mention that you've also written an independent film called The Post-Human Project, which um, yeah. is is very good. And I appreciated the... Uh, the characters in that and the the way it was shot. So uh, did you want to talk about that at all? Sure. Um, The Post-Human Project is what that's called. It's an indie micro-budget superhero story we shot um, exclusively in Oklahoma using all local cast and crew. Um, I was a writer-producer for that along with another guy named Matt Price. Uh, It was directed by a guy named Kyle Roberts. And we, um, we actually just released Video On Demand, so you can find that on iTunes and Amazon and uh, Vudu and DirecTV and Xbox Live, I guess, uh, and PlayStation Network. So it's a, it's a story about a group of teenagers who uh, are dealing with very teenage problems, and then they are sort of blasted with this radiation uh, and that gives them superpowers, and then they tackle their problems with their powers. And it's a low-budget superhero tale that we made in Oklahoma, sort of for Oklahomans, using local resources. And we had some really great actors on it, and and 
just some some great special effect artists, and that's available. I think you can the website for that is posthumanmovie.com. Um, and I've been if you follow me on Twitter, you've probably seen me talk about it a lot because uh, it just came out last month. But I'm glad you liked it. Thank you. That it's it, it's been a long road. You know, we we've been working on that project for three years um, since mm-hmm. 2000, the start of 2012. Um, it is not an easy road either making an independent low budget visual effects heavy film especially nights and weekends you know we we shot in people's backyard literally in people's backyards Hmm. at times there's a frank darabont quote that i love because he says um it's a miracle that any movie gets finished yes and and it really was like we i remember going to the cast and crew screening and just being like holy crap we did it like (laughs) And that wasn't even the fully finished version. Like it was still missing special effects. It was still missing music cues. But it's like, holy crap, like a year and almost two years of work. And we're finally having the cast and crew screening. Because <laughs> we did, you know, we, you do fundraisers and, and to try to generate money because you're dealing with um, an independent budget and you're dealing with volunteers and, and people giving their time to you to try to help you raise money. And, and our director, uh, Kyle Roberts, like he was the root of that. And he, he was responsible for a lot of that fundraising and it's sort of a testament to his abilities and to his, uh, efforts that the whole thing got made and then it came out and they brought me on board early in the process. And, and it was just, we, the three of us, me, Kyle and Matt Price, like we did everything we could to try to get this thing made and then distributed because, one of the things you learn when doing an independent film is like once it's once it's done, there's still a whole other world of marketing and distribution that you did not plan for. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like that's something they don't teach in film school. You know, like I, I went to film I, I went to an art-based film school uh, uh, at the University of Oklahoma. And and at no point did we ever address, oh yeah, and then there's distribution so that people <laughs> actually get to see the thing you made. You know, for us, like having a screening where 10 people came and watched my black and white dissertation about, you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the pitfalls of marriage in modern society or whatever, like that was a victory watching these black and white 16 millimeter films. But then to like take it up a notch and trying to figure out sort of the maze of distribution and getting that, like securing that. And then, and then there's the whole other side of, well, once it's out, is is it going to be the kind of thing people want to watch? You know, we we did very well in the film festival circuit for for the year. Um, we we started film festivals uh, in June of 2014, and I think we just did our last film festival last weekend, two weeks ago, a few weeks ago. Wow. And, and you essentially have one year's time to go through the festival circuit when you do an independent film because that past that point, interest kind of wanes. So it's it's a miracle that got made. It's a miracle it got distribution. We had some great producers on it with us too. Um, you know, Wendy Parker and Sheree Green and Vahid uh, Farzaneh. We had really great people working all towards one goal, but it's so different than comics. You know, comics, comics is such a short window from writing to art to release. You know, it's a few months. This is, uh, this was three years of our lives. Um, three and a half years, I guess it was, it was, it's June now. So three and a half years to try to get this film made and distributed. And it was, it's a tough road. Indie, indie film is a tough road for sure. 
and it's a road that I knew bits and pieces of because because again I went to school for film and and I always wanted to do more live action work, um, but I, I ended up going going down the comics rabbit hole I guess. But it's it's a it was a tough uh, it was a tough road and, and it's a road I, I really appreciate. F- now far more than I ever did. So when I watch an indie film and I'm like, God, that green screen is really distracting. I know that green screen probably took them a lot of time and a lot of effort. It's not out of, it's not out of laziness or that they ran out of money. It's that green screen can be really, really hard. Yes. (laughs) And it, it can take hundreds of hours to produce convincing green screen. And when you're a small team, like we were, I mean, like it's, it's nights and weekends, guys getting off their day job and working towards getting your, getting your ones VFX shot turned in. And we had 500 VFX shots. So I'm glad that it's out. I'm really intrigued to see what people think of it. Um, if you saw it and, uh, you know, hit me up on Twitter and we can chat some more. Um, well, interestingly, speaking of secret, secret origins, like we were, Posthuman was initially going to be a web series. Um, it, like the feature film is essentially season one of our web series, um, huh. Frankenstein together, uh, to be a feature film, a 90 minute feature film. And so it, it's really interesting pacing wise. And it's, it focuses so hard on sort of the teen drama and the relationships, uh, before powers come into play in part because it was season one. Uh, and we wanted to do, we wanted to really get into these characters before introducing powers at the back half of season one. So it plays differently than, than your X-Men or, or a Spider-Man movie because it's not about, well, at the 15 minute mark, the inciting incident is blah, blah, blah. Like it's just not structured that way in part because we were going to be a different thing. And then we, you know, in the course of it, we became something else. I learned so much on that project and, I, I would not trade that experience for the world. I, I'm really glad we're out because it's been a very, very long road to have something going that is a fairly big deal and not be able to talk about it because you really can't talk about it much until it's out. But I love those characters. I mean, it's it's a world we've talked about going back to. I have seen reviews that talk about certain characters being underserviced. I'd like to fix some of that in future post-human project stories. Would that be one of my reviews? <laughs> uh, it might have been. I might have seen one of your reviews. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Um, uh, and and you brought up you brought up some great points. And and there are there are behind the scenes things that that led to different decisions in in that process. But those characters, I mean, they all have future stories, and we'd like to get back to it at some point. And do more stuff with them. I don't know what medium it'll be. If it'll be film or if we'll split it out into comics. Or we've talked about prose. And I mean we've talked about different avenues or venues uh, for those characters. But I think there are characters in that universe that I'd love to tell stories with. And, and really um, continue to build in that world. Play in that world. Because I, I, think, I think those characters are interesting. No, definitely. And, and for those of you who, um, I mean, you all know that I write at themarysue.com. If you want to look up and check out my review of the Posthuman Project, you can go there. Um, I mean, it, it's 
definitely a great film for young audiences as well who might, you know, it came out the same like day, I think, as Age of Ultron. And it was like, yeah. okay, if you're over a certain age, you go see Age of Ultron. If you're under a certain age, you can see the post-human project. Um, but I also did love that there is so much potential for these characters and that they can continue. So I hope they do. Speaking of uphill battles, like, hey, kids, Avengers 2 is out this weekend. Do you want to see our small independent feature film instead? <laughs> Um, the thinking was like, if we come out the same day as Avengers two, we offer, we offer an alternative. Or if your kids come home and say, I want more superhero stuff, there you go. Like you can Mm -hmm. pull it up on iTunes and and rent it and, and check it out. Obviously we don't have anywhere near the budget Avengers two did. I mean, that's a $250 million film. We were a fraction of a fraction of that. I make the joke that you could buy a really nice SUV for what we what we had in our budget, <laughs> um, and, and it was so much of posthuman was just people working, uh, you know, for comp and 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 credit, and you know, we we were very fortunate with our cast and crew to get the people that we did because it's hard it's hard to do something on a on a low budget like that, but still trying to make it feel like it's it's a million dollar indie film. And I, I'm happy with how it turned out, and we we want to go back to that world at some point. But it's it's an issue of uh, how well it does with audiences now, because again, we're, we're such a low budget, we're a low budget feature, we're a low budget cinematic universe, I guess. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, how people approach it and what happens to it next is it will really be determined by an audience, and. Posthuman is is something I'm very thankful exists, and I'm very glad it was. I'm very glad it's in my life, and I'm very glad to have the relationships that developed as a result of working on that film. It was a really great experience, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'm really happy that it's out, <laughs> uh, and I'm really glad that that it's in places that people can see it. Because again, wh- when I went to film school, if ten people showed up to your to your screening, that was a victory, and so now we're on a level. Now we're on a whole other, whole other level, and um, it's available on iTunes. Uh, and Everyone can see it in the comfort of their own home. Yes. Right, right, and it's, it's, and it's very much a homegrown story, so watching it at your home is probably better than, than trekking to the theater because, honestly, you're going to go see Avengers 2. Like, we're not kidding anybody. Like, <laughs> but we offer something different than, than I think your mainstream major superhero fair offers. And, and we'd never, I mean, the, the, the line we always use is it's sort of what if the breakfast club had superpowers. And so viewed through that lens and viewed through the lens of the teen experience and the different taking those kind of John Hughes archetypes and giving each the, you know, the the jock, the nerd, the weirdo, you know, from the, from the breakfast club, giving each of them powers, how do they react? What do they do? Mm -hmm. Well, the guy that, the guy that's the, you know, very athletic. He figures it out pretty quick on how to do stuff because he's used to using his body uh, to do different things. Um, you know, whereas Gwen, she's shocked by that power, and it gives her it gives her power that she's never had before, that she can use in a way that she's never been able to before. And then, not to spoil it, but then you know, once once she uses that power, how does she react to that? You know, like her first instinct is protective, but also going on the offense and hurting someone. And it's only through the grace of her friends that that it turns out okay. 
but her reaction to that is pretty much what you or I would do. Like, yeah. what the hell, what did I just do? Like, what, what happened? I, I made a decision in the moment, in the heat of the moment, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> and it went, it went horribly wrong. Like, who the hell are we? Um, wh- what have we become now that we're, n- now that we're this? And that's sort of, that's sort of for me, the theme of the whole piece is like, what happens to you when you hit maturity um, and, and you have those moments that really make you an adult or, or it's the first time you remember reacting to something and feeling like, well, th- that was a very adult reaction. Uh, is this it? Am I now an adult? Uh, or, or is that just the first step into adulthood and, and learning to take responsibility um, for my actions? It's kind of the Uncle Ben moment of, <laughs> of it all. Right. So it was, it was a fun project to work on. And, and, and again, like I love those characters. I think they're really interesting. And I love that cast. We're all still pretty close. And we're hopeful that eventually we get to go back into that world and do sort of the next, the next story with those characters. Yeah, no, definitely you guys check that out. Um, you know, like you said, it was available on iTunes and several other VOD uh, outlets. Rebecca, I don't know if you want to go ahead with our usual sign-off stuff. Yeah. If you want to contact Supergirl Radio, you can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. You can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. And we're also available on iTunes and Stitcher. So if you've got some time, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review. And we are also part of the DC TV Podcast Network, so if you like Gotham, Arrow, The Flash, and the upcoming Legends of Tomorrow, subscribe to our DC TV Podcast mega feed and follow at DC TV Podcasts on Twitter and like DC TV Podcasts on Facebook. The mega feed. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe. Subscribe to the mega feed. <laughs> Let me just say thank you again for having me on the show. Like I'm, I'm very happy to be here, and I'm, I'm really glad people are finding this work. Um, you know, I, I talk to Jamal pretty regularly, and and we're happy that people look on on this phase of our lives and look at the work we did back then so fondly because it was it was great to do at, at the time. And and you know, we we've always said if there's an opportunity to do more Supergirl stories, we we'd be there in a heartbeat. So we're really glad that people are finding this stuff now. So thank you. Awesome. No, and, and, and thank you. And, and this is definitely, you know, personally one of my, will be one of my recommendations if somebody asks me, hey, what Supergirl should you read? And I'm certainly not alone in this because we certainly got the same thing when we were starting uh, this podcast um, to definitely recommend these stories as a good kind of gateway drug for the Supergirl yes. mythos. <laughs> that's, that's a pull quote right there for the trade. <laughs> Exactly. It's a great gateway drug, kids. Please try. <laughs> Please read. Totally. Thank you. I, I really appreciate hearing that. Thank you. That means a lot. Well, uh, as we mentioned, I do write for uh, themarysue.com, so you can find me there. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at uh, Teresa Giacino. Um, my blog is the Teresa Giacino Experience, which you can Google. Uh, and I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Teresa Giacino Experience. And you can follow me on Twitter at DerbyKid, that's D-E-R-B-Y-K-I-D, and watch videos I've shot and edited on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash duckmilkprod, that's D-U-C-K-M-I-L-K-P-R-O-D. Until next time, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And I'm still Teresa Giacino. And yes, Earth needs heroes like Supergirl. 
but we don't have to be jerks about it. 